Yeah. So I'm just going to introduce. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday and Thursday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, broadcast out of beautiful Monticello, Maine, and heard around the world. We also uh, are on YouTube, and uh, this uh, audio version of this will be on our Podomatic. That's our flagship platform, but also Amazon uh, and I don't, about a half a dozen others. And uh, it's brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, runs a week-long family camp, weekend retreat, ladies' retreat, and many other things. Uh, visit our website, campconstitution.net. Uh, last month, I had the pleasure and opportunity to speak to a group out in Michigan, the Michigan Republican, uh, Mackinac Island, where my wife and I attended. Of course, I couldn't go to a five-star hotel without my wife. She would never forgive me for that. So anyway, she came out, and we had the pleasure of meeting uh, Leah Southwell, I think, who was the first lady coordinator for the John Bird Society, and her friend, um, and uh, he was he has an incredible story, Peter, uh, escaping from Czechoslovakia. So instead of me reading a blip from your book, let me just introduce yourself uh, to the millions of listeners. Well, I'm exaggerating, maybe not million, maybe thousands of listeners around the world. Okay, yeah, my name is Peter Vodenka. I uh, was born in communist country of Czechoslovakia and I escaped from during the communism with my wife and two little children and uh, end up in America. So that escape uh, situation was uh, very uh, touchy. Uh, it took me 10 years to figure out how to get out alive because our government would rather kill us than, than let us be free. So since I was 17 years old, I was praying and hoping and dreaming and wishing that I'm going to go to America. You know, hell, uh, we have, to, I heard about freedoms in America and opportunities, you know, freedom of speech, religion, political belief. Those are big freedoms, but uh, we know about them. We talk about them a lot, but uh, we have so many other freedoms over here which don't we don't even recognize as the freedoms. You know, uh, we have freedom you, of association. You know, f- uh, freedom to start a business, freedom to work where you wish, to travel. There's no yeah. such thing as an internal passport. I know in communist countries you had to have a passport to travel to another town in some cases. Yeah, and uh, and uh, even get the job, uh, go to school, go to education. That was all controlled by communists, and and even moving from place to place and or changing the job, it was very difficult. Now, not difficult, very unusual way to do it. It wasn't simple. Nothing was simple over there. Everything was complicated. <clears throat> now, what? Uh, give me some time frame. Czechoslovakia was created at the end of World War One, the Treaty of yes. Versailles. It was this country that was actually created. It was uh, Slovakia and Czech Republic. And, uh, and of course, there were factions right then and there. But the minute the country was started, I understand. Right. And and then the Germans uh, invaded. uh, They bombed Prague. uh, And, you know, it was a small country against uh, the powerful Nazi Nazi war machine. And after the war, uh, the Soviets were handed Czechoslovakia, even though... There were some allies. I know Patton had some troops in Czechoslovakia. He had to, he yeah. had to get out of there, had to leave them. Uh, in fact, I had a, um, I, if the story is correct, I had a friend of mine who told me that about the Lipinzon horses that were going to be eaten by the Soviets. And Patton, along with some Germans, believe it or not, German soldiers, 
went into uh, and saved those horses. That's uh, one of these uh, very interesting stories that not many people know about. But what what happened when, you know, it was a relatively free country up until the occupation of Germany, and then the Soviets took over. So give us how the Soviets ended up taking over that country. Well, the Soviets, you know, uh, the first there was the government, uh, the communist government took the country first. And of course, they were building train and uh, and uh, educated and everything in the Russia. But, you know, Czechoslovakia at the time had about seven political parties, which communism was one of them. But they were the small political parties and they have no chance to get elected legally. So they know they have to do the coup. So eventually, uh, well, eventually it was in 1947 when communists came to power. They prepared themselves, they prepared the country, they prepared the positions. And then when they felt they are strong enough, and of course it was all Russians' observation, right? They were uh, watching them, uh, educating them, you know, leading them, telling them what to do and what not to do. And uh, believe it or not, when communists decided to take the power over or government over in Czechoslovakia, it took one week. One week when whole country, when just like in America, free enterprise, private ownership, uh, you know, competition, in one week, it was all over. Nobody could own anything. Uh, people have uh, no uh, no freedoms of anything. You know, it was pretty much darkness came in one week and people lost the whole human rights and all different lifestyle. <clears throat> and how and old then, were you at that time? Uh, I wasn't born yet. I was born in 1955. So I don't remember that. But then in night, so communists were a really strong hold. By the way, you don't look that old. So I, I, I didn't think you were born in the 1940s. You're a, you're a younger looking man. So, <laughs> yeah, and um, so and, and the communists were a really strong hold on everything. They are executing people, killing people, getting rid of anybody who might in any way oppose them or be any kind of threat to them, and. Uh, but in, but in 1967, we... Oh, it's freezing up. Uh, that's the uh, problem. With... Suddenly, we, we, we have different government. They call it uh, communism with human face. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, did, we, did you... Okay, I thought I lose you for a second. Anyway, uh, but Russians couldn't see it because, you know, they... Uh, the Czechoslovakia suddenly started having more freedom, people did. And uh, suddenly everything was going the right way and people were happy and everything was going good. But the Russians was afraid, it looks like Russians are gonna lose the stronghold on the Czechoslovakian mm. government. So of course they couldn't allow it because if Czechoslovakia split from you know Eastern European countries, then it might have domino effect in other countries. So in 19, in September 21st, sorry, August 21st, in 1968, uh, we woke up in the morning and Russians were everywhere. That was mm. overnight attack. Uh, the government disappeared. Uh, they took all the radio stations, everything under control. And they came with the tanks and paratroopers and special forces. And in one night, the dream which we have for about a year, year and a half, that year, that, that dream was gone. And at that time I was 13 years old. And so you were, you were a very young, young person at that time. Now your parents, uh, what did they do 
what kind of work did they do? And I imagine was your father uh, in the war in, in World War II? No, no, he wasn't because Czechoslovakia didn't go in the World War II. Uh, right. What happened was, yeah, there was that whole deal when actually our military got uh, disabled, dismissed, and we lose all the military, everything. So the Germans are free hand to uh, march in the Czechoslovakia and stuff. So my father was born in 1921. So he was a young man when uh, Germans came over, and but he wasn't wasn't in the war because there was no military. There's no, no military, yeah. Because I know so I know the Germans did conscript some uh they did have uh national different nations fight under with them. Uh right. and I imagine it's probably a Czech group that so-called volunteered to fight with the Nazis. Right. Uh, well, and Slovakia actually became the ally with, with Nazis. So mm -hmm. the Czechoslovakia split at the time, and Slovakia was German allies, but they were not the only one. I mean, Hungarians were fighting alongside with them. Finnish, you know, there was many countries which were fighting alongside with the Germany against the Russians, against the Bolsheviks. So. By the way, I want to ask you, are you familiar with the book And Not a Shot is Fired? It was written by a Czechoslovakian communist, uh, Jan, I can't remember the last name. We actually put it back in print, and it just says okay. how you take over a country without a violent revolution. Right. And right. he must have been part of the Czech government that was there when the communists ended up taking over in, what, 47, you said? Yeah. I have that book on my nightstand. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so you are it, yeah, we, yeah. Uh, we publish it, and I do recommend uh, if you go to our website, campconstitution.net, and get a copy of it. It was interesting that uh, I had copies of that book that were published back in the late 90s. Uh, a lot of different conservative patriotic groups put that back in print to illustrate how what's happening in this country, how we can be overthrown without a violent revolution. And um, their books during the height of the George Floyd riots, this the book was actually selling. It was only like 60 pages, too. It was mm -hmm. uh, selling for $200 or more a copy. And oh. I had like a handful of, and I ended up, uh, we, we put it back in print. And of course, the demand has gone down considerably, but it was really incredible how people were vying. They wanted this information because he wanted to know, explain what was happening and what was happening today. You know, what, what happened in Czechoslovakia can happen here. So, well, I think it's happening already. It's not so visible, it's, it's not so violent. And of course, it's going to take, it's taking longer than one week. You know, right. because the America is a little bit different. Uh, we have United States Constitution. We have state rights and people's rights and stuff, even though governments are going to try to destroy it because United States Constitution is in their way to take us people over completely. And But they are working on it. We know it. We can see it. They we are. can see it all around us. So so you're in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> How old are you at the time when you when you escaped? Well, I started planning it when I was 17 years old. Wow. And, of course, nobody can know anything. Not my parents. Nobody can know anything what I'm thinking about. So sure. it took me 10 years to figure out how to get out alive. And, uh, like I said, I was putting the puzzle together in my head. You know, I am educating myself, keeping my ears and eyes open. I am trying to find any kind of information I can. And then after 10 years, I thought, I know how to get out. But only difference was by then I was married. I have 24-year-old wife, mm. four-year-old daughter, and two-year-old son. So now I have to take my whole family across. It's not myself anymore. 
And uh, what we did, uh, what I find out was communist country of Yugoslavia had a little bit more freedoms than the rest of us, the rest of the Eastern mm. European countries. Marshal Tito, I'm pretty sure you heard this name and many people. Oh, of course, yeah. He was also fighting against the Russians during the World War, uh, along, alongside with the Germans. But uh, when the war was coming to the end, he saw that Germans are going to lose. So he jumped the ships and became the communist president of Yugoslavia. But he never uh, liked the Russians. They didn't trust him and he didn't like them either. And he kept a little bit more freedoms for his people than the rest of us did. And what I find out was that Yugoslavian border between Yugoslavia and Austria uh, wasn't as tight as impossible to reach uh, uh, cross as our borders. So anyway, to make the long story short, uh, it was, uh, what was the date? It was uh, June 21st, night of June 21st, and we were to try to cross the border from Yugoslavia to Austria, two o'clock in the morning. And, uh, but we were spotted by Yugoslavian soldiers. They start chasing mm. after us with the rifles and dogs and spotlights. And I was carrying our pure boy in my hand and my wife was holding our four-year-old daughter's hand. Mm. And now we are running for our lives. Our only chance was to cross that border before they come close enough to arrest us or start shooting at us. And, uh, you know, they were close and came. They, they didn't have little children, so they could run faster than we could. But Luckily for us, the rain was just coming down in the sheets. It was just, as we are coming closer to this point, the rain is it's raining and it's getting stronger, heavier, heavier. And when we were running, it was just torrential rain. And that was blocking those spotlights. You know, the rain was stopping to reach our bodies. The lights were reflecting on the, on the rain. So they couldn't see us, but like I said, it's just a matter of the time. And... Uh, mm -hmm. We crossed that border, they were behind us probably 100 to 150 yards. If it was another, another 100 yards away, we probably wouldn't make it. They would come close oh, enough to see us, actually. But like I said, the train was protecting us and save, saving our lives, pretty much. Yeah, so, just like the, in, uh, when George Washington is, uh, retreated from uh, Long Island, he had the fog, and uh, without that, the British would have wiped him out, so... I right. think weather does right. work. I, I look at it as divine intervention. So yeah, yeah. So now you're in exactly. Czech. Now you're in Yugoslavia, and uh, how did things go there? You did you leave there as soon as you could? No, we actually have to go. Uh, we end up going into getting into refugee camp because you couldn't just move around freely uh, when we were in Austria. I mean, not Yugoslavia. We, oh, we make Austria, it to yeah. Austria. And uh, so we were in a refugee camp and I want to go to America. That was my dream. So we were applying for United States of America and you have to fill out the lots of paperwork and write your life history. That was all translated and sent over to U.S. Council in Vienna. And eventually he called us for an interview. That was about hour long interview with translator, of course, because we didn't speak English. And... Uh, and then council decided uh, to approve our paperwork. So then they sent us to doctor to make sure that we are all healthy, don't have any weird diseases, I guess, I don't know. And, uh, and then you still cannot leave unless you have the sponsor in America. Right. And uh, once you get sponsored, once you are approved and you are sponsored, then you can go. 
And we came over here uh, legally at the time because we were approved by government, more or less. And so we have green cards, uh, social security numbers, and everything right away. So I could start working, working right away. I think uh, today's policy, where the uh, people come in here illegally by the by the by the millions, and they're given cell phones, hotel rooms, travel anywhere, any state, it must really infuriate someone like you who had to wait and had to do it. And you were a legitimate refugee. You weren't uh, just right. an economic refugee. Say, hey, I don't, I couldn't make it in Czechoslovakia very well. I want to come here and work. Uh, and you tried to do it again. You did it legally, and it took you a while. Meanwhile, these right. people are coming in, uh, just strutting in. And the minute they come in, they're not arrested and sent back. They're given a, a plane ticket or a bus ticket, and they're given hotel rooms, and they're giving all kinds of food and cell phones and free medical and free dental. It's changed a little right. bit since so you came in. Yeah, definitely. It wasn't just that, but, you know, they were checking our background somehow. Uh and there were people. There were people in that refugee camp who were there for two years already, and they couldn't go on because they were getting denied. There were people applying for America and got denied. So apply over again, denied. Apply for Australia, denied. You know. So there were people who were not allowed to pass through. There must be something in their background. Sure. And um, so it was. It was. It was tough. When we were in that refugee camp, we were we could walk in and out. You know, we were not in the jail. It was big military, old military complex with the gate, of course, and fence. But you can walk in and out. I even found a job. I was working outside the camp. But mm -hmm. you cannot start your life. We left our old life behind. We could not go back to it because we would be arrested or persecuted, executed, possibly. But you cannot start your new life in that refugee camp also. You are living be between the two worlds. You are caught in the vacuum, kind of. So some people were not getting approved, and it was tough. Some of them committed suicide over there after oh, two years. Oh, that's terrible. What a shame. So, so you're, explain to us your first few days. First of all, who uh, sponsored you? And explain a little bit about your first few days or weeks in the United States. Yes, uh, well, we got sponsored by church. It was First Lutheran Church in the town of Beach in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's called Beach. There is no water anywhere, but it's called Beach. <laughs> and it's the last uh, city before you cross into Montana, actually. It's right on the Montana border almost. And uh, so when we arrived over there, we, had, uh, we didn't speak English. We have $600 in our pockets, clothes on mm -hmm. our backs and two little children. So we were pretty much started right from, from the scratch. And one thing which we are required to do, and I thought it was a very good thing, because somebody uh, purchased the flight tickets for us to come to fly from uh, Austria to America. And we had to pay those flight tickets back, uh, sure. but we had to, we have six, six months before we were, were required to start paying the tickets back. And we could pay only $10 a, a month if we wanted to, but we have to yeah. pay it back. And I really like that idea because it kind of forces you to to start working, to do something, to start generating money. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So, yeah. So, it was, so uh, uh, it was very, very different for us, of course. But you assimilated pretty quickly and you've embraced liberty and freedom. And oh, yeah. I think... Yeah. The, I've had lots of friends from Eastern Europe and so, so, communist countries and 
and have you. And most of them will say what they've seen, what they fled is what they're seeing here in this country. So um, kind of uh, elaborate on that a little bit, because I think uh, you, someone who lived under communism, and it's one of its more worst forms, and what you're seeing here, I just read today that a man who was, uh, he spent, he's going to spend six months in jail because he made a meme uh, critical of Hillary Clinton. And this mm-hmm. is in New York. I don't know if it was a New York court or a federal court. Six months from making a meme. We used to have something called free speech, uh, and we still have it to some extent. But here's a guy making a meme. They say how, somehow it was election interference because obviously it was ridiculous to look at. You know it was a spoof. Yeah, never like he's right, in jail right, right. and stuff like this happens all the time. And it's not sometimes going to jail for speaking out. It's people who are afraid to speak out because they lose their job, or they'll be uh, shadow banned by YouTube, or uh, shut shut down, or their business will be boycotted. Right, right. Yeah, it's you know it, it's it's political persecution. It's political imprisonment. You know, that's what communists were doing. They says, okay, that person's going to go to prison for 20 years. That person is going to be there for life. That person is going to be executed. You know, and and the, and the prisons in communism, they have different levels of prisons. But uh, the worst criminals were in the uranium mines. Czech Republic mm. is uh, re- really, uh, there are lots of uranium over there. And they um, saw so political criminals were working in the uranium mines, you know, mining the uranium with the bare hands and stuff. And they, those were people who were, those were priests and ministers and pastors uh-huh. and professors uh-huh. yeah. and teachers and doctors, architects, you know, intelligence of nation was rotting in the uranium mines, in the gulags pretty much. And then, of course, people like us who try to escape and therefore you become enemy of the state. So, and uh, it's kind of scary to see that stuff is coming over here. You know, it was this black cloud which was constantly hanging over our heads. We mm-hmm. were always looking over our shoulder. They have informant throughout the population and it could be your neighbor, even your brother, your family might be working as an informant for secret police. And if they hear somebody say something unusual or something, now we are being watched by secret police themselves. And then you could end up executed or whatever. So they had something. That, no, I know Cuba had something called Committee for the Defense of the Revolution, and there were block leaders in the whole country through a network. And so if they saw that, oh, Peter's got a few friends over on a Sunday. Uh oh, he might be having yeah. a church service, and you'd be turned yeah. in. Uh, and sometimes no evidence was necessary. And that person who was doing that dirty work he or she might get a few extra rations uh, for the f- a few extra pieces of meat. And that's what they would do. Right. They would go out of the way to look for anybody that may be a threat to the state. Exactly. That's exactly true. So uh, I do also, uh, hell, I, I wrote the book. I have the book over here if I can show it. It's called Journey for Freedom. And that book has 314 pages. And... Uh, there is lots of stuff in there. I also do the public speaking. And for, uh, you know, 20 years or so, uh, during my speaking, I keep saying, you know, we have left that black cloud hanging over our heads. And now that cloud is over here. It came over here and now it's hanging over the America and it's going bad. And if we ever lose freedom in America, we, we have no place to go. We cannot leave over here to be free somewhere else because there isn't somewhere else anymore. If we I know it's not Canada. Canada. No, no, it's not Canada. 
or mm-hmm. or Australia. I mean, they are both a lot more socialist than we are already. And um, if we lose freedom, that's it. We have no place to go. So our only chance is to, you know, protect our freedoms and and upheld the United States Constitution, of course, and keep our representatives, keep their feet to the fire and say, this is the oath, oath you were promised on, you swore on, to, to upheld and, and protect it. You need to do that because that Constitution is only thing right now which is standing between them and us. And once the Constitution no, is gone, no. that's it. When you, uh, you are a U.S. citizen at this point. Right. In order to become yeah. a U.S. citizen, you had to study and know the Constitution, correct? Right, right. Yeah, we yeah, it's a, the, Yes, go ahead. There was a funny, there was an episode of a TV show called Monk, is Detective uh, Great Powers of Observation. And there was a, a victim of a crime. And before he, he, he even spoke to her, she, he, he said, you must be from uh, from Eastern Europe. Or no, like, why do you say that? Because you have a copy of the Constitution in your pocketbook. The Americans don't read the Constitution, so you've got to be a foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to pass the test. <coughs> it wasn't like, it wasn't easy test. It was, uh, if we didn't study, there was no way to pass it. It's yeah. asking about the structures of the government, three branches, you know, uh, uh, the everything pretty much about different presidents and and constitution and lots of other things so we would not pass it and when i was uh, telling my american friends after uh, we got citizenship when i was telling them the questions which were on the test they says i would never pass it there's no way i can i can pass this test you know right so Hey Peter, I just got uh, I upgraded my Zoom account to, to more than for an hour, but it's telling me I'm running out of time. So anyway, uh, tell the uh, listeners and viewers where they can get a copy of your book. You have a website where people can learn more about your uh, your work and and book you if they want to have you speak at through their group or buy a copy yes. of your book. Right, right. Well, my website is called also Journey for Freedom. The book is called Journey for Freedom. It is on Amazon for about, uh, well, since 2010, it's on Amazon. But problem is, I started having problems with Amazon two years ago, and I cannot verify the orders, and I'm trying to solve this problem for two years. So if yeah. somebody orders the book on Amazon, I don't know if they really get it. But it can be that, also... Uh, Amazon gets a chunk of 20 25%, so I'd re- it's right, better to right, buy it directly yeah. from you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, other than that, it can be purchased on my website. It's Journey for Freedom, and you can follow the you can follow the you know directions over there and purchase it right on my website. Um, and I want to order one from you, and I want an autographed copy too. So, <laughs> okay, okay, all right, that sounds good. All right, any uh, any any final closing remarks? Here? Yeah, we go. We can, we get three minutes left. Maybe maybe it will uh, give me the whole uh, give me the whole amount. Uh, what can people do if you are giving advice to the average view, listener or potential viewer here uh, and to say, okay, we get bad news. What do you recommend? So give us some recommendations, what they can do to be part of this great freedom fight. Well, like I said, our, our strongest weapon is United States Constitution. And of course, we know that our governments for, you know, I am in America for 40 years and I see the freedom being lost every day. You know, today we have more freedoms then we're going to have tomorrow. And yesterday, we have more freedoms than we have today. They're chipping them away every day. Mm-hmm. 
and they're ignoring the constitution. They're trying to change it, say it's outdated, it's bad, it's not, not needed anymore. The constitution is our biggest weapon. We are still somewhat free over here because of the constitution. If the constitution didn't exist, we would not be here. That's uh, right. We would be gone already. The freedoms would be gone already. Like I says, and the government, uh, federal government, and local governments, of course, but mostly federal government is trying to destroy that constitution. And once they do, that's it. We need to understand the constitution, not just to know that there is articles and this. We need to understand right. that constitution. And we need to help our representative to do what they promise, what they will swear to do, protect and uphold it. Well, and there are a lot of... It's, uh... Yeah, it's there just, are a lot of organizations out there. And uh, for those viewers who are, any viewer, uh, listener or viewer, uh, looks like some recommendations, they could just contact us and we can put you in touch with uh, fellow freedom activists in your particular right. neighborhood or community. Yes, uh, and yes. Studying the Constitution. And one way is that we have some great, there's some great videos on our website from incredible instructors. So you can get a lot. There's also uh, the Constitution is the Solution which is, mm -hmm. a, I think, what, an eight-part by Robert Brown, a former colleague of mine. Yep. Yep. And I think all those are available, I believe, on YouTube now. You can buy the, right, the right. DVD set through American yes. Opinion, uh, uh, but uh, you can also just go on YouTube and have it. And, you know, I encourage people to host constitutional study groups in your home, in your church, right. uh, local right. libraries, have meeting rooms, and, uh, and then... I buy them. Uh, we we at Camp Constitution we buy a thousand or so at a time, and we donate these. We've donated uh, thousands of constitutions to schools, uh, to civic groups. We hand them out at different events, and handing one out, you know, is not well and good. But it's like I can pass, give you a book doesn't mean you're going to read it. But uh, right. we also have instruction to go along with it. So uh, well, thank I you so much. That... Yes, go ahead. No, I, I'm taking that course with uh, the Constitution as a solution. This is my second time around. And it's actually six hours, six uh, uh, hour long uh, sessions. And we're doing it at two hours at night. So this Monday, we were doing it every every Monday. So today is That's the great. last last two chapters or whatever, two sessions. So. All right. Well, we're running out of time. We want to thank you, uh, Peter, for being a guest. And we're going to put you. your contact information in the, as a link in the uh, in the description of the, okay. both the audio and video aspect. Uh, you've been listening to the Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. And until next week, may God richly bless you. And close the meeting. And there we go.